Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to episode 165 of the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. As always, I'm Matt Lombardo, joined by my friend and colleague, Daryl Slater. Back again, not much has changed with the Giants. Monday night against the Cowboys, new game, division rival. Same result, they fall to Dallas on Monday at MetLife, 37-18. to And, uh, you know, Daryl, you look at this team right now, and all of the things that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, it seems like... It has presented itself. Pat Shermer on the hot seat, concerns about Daniel Jones' regression, and a litmus test game against the New York Jets heading into the bye week. Yeah, I mean, a few weeks ago we talked about, you know, this these, This is a good stretch in, uh, uh, of tests for the Giants with Cardinals, Lions, Cowboys, Jets, of, uh, of where this team is at, of where Pat Shermer is at in terms of his job security, where Daniel Jones is at in terms of his progress. And now here we are, and the Giants have lost three of the – all three of those games so far. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is a can't-lose game for the Giants, a can't-lose game for Pat Shermer. And uh, certainly, you know, I think if you look at this, and we'll probably mostly talk big picture here, but you know, Daniel Jones did some okay things, but once again, the turnovers continue to be an issue. 16 turnovers for him so far this season, eight lost fumbles, eight interceptions. And that's just far too many. Yep, no, I totally agree. We're going to get into all of that, but of course, some housekeeping at the top of the show here. If you like what you hear, we'd love if you would subscribe on the Apple Podcast Store, give us a like on YouTube, check us out on SoundCloud, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and all of your favorite podcast platforms. Of course, you can follow the show on Twitter. He's at Daryl Slater. I'm at Mount Lombardo NFL. And of course, uh, the podcast has its own handle, at Talk is Cheap NYG. And as always, we appreciate those five-star reviews. You can rip us if you want, just leave, the, leave us those five stars. Uh, review for you here, Daryl, from DC DNC DJHG. He says, I love the honesty. I've tried several Giants-specific podcasts, and this one is the best one out there. They're very realistic, they're blunt, and they're rational. They never come off as too optimistic or pessimistic. They're even fun to listen to and have good chemistry, by the way, Fire Shermer. <laughs> <laughs> that legitimately made me laugh. I wasn't pretending there. That was a, yeah. So that, very nice. Thanks for reading. Thanks, yeah. or thanks for writing in and thanks for listening. I appreciate that. And of course, I think that's a good place for us to start this podcast, Daryl, is once again, it, it feels like Groundhog Day around here because every week since you've jumped over onto the podcast, whether it was leading up to the Cardinal game or going to Detroit against the Lions, a couple of winnable games, a game at home against the Dallas Cowboys that you didn't really know what Dallas was coming off that big win against the Eagles 
and thought maybe there was an opportunity for the Giants to to put forth a solid showing. But the underlying theme has been Pat Shermer has had multiple opportunities to have his team ready to play, to win a game against a beatable opponent, and kind of silence the doubters, silence the critics, and kind of build up some job security, but it's gone the other way. And I think we've reached a crescendo this week in that a game against the Jets, where you can make a case after they lost to the Dolphins, where the Jets could have left Adam Gase on the tarmac, that it now presents itself that if the Giants lose this game on Sunday, the the talk, I believe, the conversations in the building start to begin um, about what Pat Shermer's future is beyond this no year. No doubt. They have to. I mean, uh, I understand rookie quarterback and all that, but we've talked here on uh, about it and we've written it. Uh, having a rookie quarterback doesn't mean you keep your job. I mean, we've... Hugh Jackson, going back to Jeff Fisher, Todd Bowles last year. And yes, it's a little different because the Giants did hire Pat Shermer to mold Eli Manning's replacement. And yes, Daniel Jones has done some okay things and has shown some progress this year. So I think the Giants brass will have to weigh all of that, but there's also optics. And and we talked in hypotheticals last week about what happens. Gee, what happens if they lose to the Cowboys and then lose to the Jets? Well, they're one loss away from making that hypothetical a reality. Yeah. And the optics would be really, really bad if they lost to, to this Jets team in particular. Um, obviously, everyone knows how much they're struggling and then, and then the embarrassing loss last week to the Dolphins. So this is, like I said, this is a can't-lose game for Shermer because they go into the bye week at 2-8 and eight with eight straight losses. The conversations have to start about whether he's got much of a future here because they need to start showing some results here on multiple fronts. I mean, the defense is an issue too, big plays and all that, young players, and we get it. We get the youth as part of it, but um, yeah, the Giants brass, John Mayer, they don't take too kindly to, you know, really John Mayer in particular, to being, you know, having embarrassing results. Yeah, and I think that losing to the Jets would be an embarrassment, and I also think that... Everybody, and this seems to be building on Twitter, you're out talking to fans, you, you know, you listen to talk radio, you talk to people around the league. There seems to be a thought that if they lose to the Jets, Pat Shermer could be fired on Monday. And and, and I, I don't know that I would completely rule it out, but I say that's very highly unlikely because yeah. unlike a lot of organizations, unlike, say, the Cleveland Browns or Washington, or to a certain extent, you can even lump the Jets into that mold based on the, the last decade or two of how they've done things. The Giants are very image conscious. You brought this up the other week. This would be two head coaches fired in three years in season. If you think back to Ben McAdoo, uh, fired in the month of December, one year removed from an 11-5 and year and a playoff berth. If they fire Shermer midseason, that's twice in three years. And, and I just don't think that the Mara family, Steve Tisch, the organization is willing to go down that road. And I think you and I might be in a little bit of agreement here, and you can disagree if we aren't. Um, you know, you can have legitimate conversations about firing the coach after a five and eleven season, after a two and seven start to the year, after six straight losses. It would be two and eight going into the bye week. You can talk about those things, but I don't think that it's a move the Giants are going to make in the immediate future if if the Giants don't win on Sunday. No, I would be very surprised if he was fired in the bye week. I'm sure you know the pitchforks and all that will be out for him. Uh, you know if they don't win the game publicly, and I'm sure John Mayer will take all that into account. And, and but uh, yeah, like I, I don't think he's going to get fired. In, you know, in in the bye week, let's say they keep losing and losing and losing, and it, and it becomes a situation where they're two and twelve. Or two and thirteen. Yeah, I think you know, he could be fired at two and twelve, two and thirteen. Sure, I think that could happen. 
I think that could certainly happen because then you're talking about like 11 straight losses. But that's, you know, that's a hypothetical that is a little bit a ways away. Right. You still have a game against Washington and a game against Miami where you should be favored to win those games. They're one and a half point dogs against the Jets, but you should be favored against the Dolphins and against Washington when you play them. Yeah. And I, I'm, they're one and a half point underdogs against the Jets. That surprises me. That really surprises me. And I think a lot of that has to do with, and we can just touch on it briefly, uh, the injuries. Um, and look, we're not going to get too much into this game in particular, but looks like, you know, the the Giants are not going to have Evan Ingram. They're not going to have Sterling Shepard. They're not going to have John Halpio. And Mike Remmers may be not playing as well. So it looks like four pretty prominent guys could be out. And at the very least, three really prominent guys in terms of your starting tight end receiver center. So uh, maybe that has something to do with it. But, uh, yeah, geez, I mean... I don't, you know, I don't care what the line is. Yeah. If you're the Giants, you can't lose this game. No, I totally agree with that. And and you look at, at just the Giants' offense, and you look at Daniel Jones, and you look at the turnovers, and I know we sound like broken records, but it's the same thing every week. It, it, you look at the interception the other night at the end of the game. You look at the, the fumble at the end of the game where he's getting sacked again and the ball pops out and it's returned for a touchdown. It, it's just the decision-making and the ball security are the two biggest issues with Daniel Jones, and they don't seem to be getting better. And I wrote this right after the game. Daryl, it seems like those highlight plays, the one-handed grab by Golden Tate that was a great throw down along the sideline, a couple of the throws against the Lions the previous week where it was a jump ball to Darius Slayton for his first touchdown of his career. Those plays seem like they're fewer and further between, and it looks like Daniel Jones is struggling more and more as we go along here. And Maybe that's just a product of being a rookie. Maybe that's a product of defenses having more tape that they can study and exploit some of those weaknesses and kind of trick him into making some mistakes against shell coverage like the Arizona Cardinals did and like the New England Patriots did. But more so than the wins and losses, more so than the five-game losing streak, I think what should be more concerning for the Giants and their fans is that Daniel Jones isn't progressing. It seems like he's regressing. That's that You hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's easy to look at the wins and losses, but this season was really never about necessarily wins and losses. Of course, the Giants didn't want to see, and their fans don't want to see them get embarrassed on a week-in, week-out basis and have massively long losing streaks like this. But this season, the number one storyline is the development of Daniel Jones. And, and right now it looks like a lack of development, unfortunately for him. And uh, yeah, the, the thing, simple stuff, keeping two hands on the ball in the pocket or when you're moving around just out of the pocket, you know, that's very basic stuff that can get lost in the head of a young quarterback. And you've seen it happen so far at, at, at inopportune times uh, here for Daniel Jones. And uh, yeah, I mean, you, this is some of the stuff that Sam Darnold went through last year before he had his late season uptick, which now, you know, in some ways looks like a little bit of a mirage. But again, the offensive line over there with the Jets is a disaster. The Giants offensive line is a mitigating factor for some of Daniel Jones' struggles as well. So, um, and I think we, we kind of kicked all of these topics around you and I and Matt Stipulkowski, who covers the Jets for us, did a little roundtable uh, thing uh, in print uh, uh, that we did uh, today on the website. So if you want to check that out, we'll get there's a lot more of, of than what we're just talking about here about why these quarterbacks are at the points where they are in terms of the struggles. But uh, but yeah, I mean like the numbers for Jones are really interesting because it's, it's such a feast or famine year for him. Oh, you for sure. To all the things that he's done well, and the numbers are pretty good at least compared it, it, well compared to Darnold. If you take the turnovers out, the problem is it you can't take the turnovers out. Just like it's in 
asinine for a defensive coordinator to get up there today, to get up there and do what James Betcher did today and talk about, well, if you take these big plays out, what do you, that's the problem. Like, like, yeah, if you take out the problem, we don't have a problem. Oh, thanks. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize that, you know, like, of course. So the turnovers are always going to spoil, uh, a lot of the good because, you know, they obviously lead the points for the opposition. For sure. And you look at what Sam Darnold's doing across town right now, and I think that was rock bottom last week against the Dolphins, having the snap go over his head into the end zone, uh, the pick down d- deep into the red zone where you just scratch your head about what he's looking at when he throws that ball. And, you know, there have been a couple of moments like that for Daniel Jones, but uh, Daryl, I-, I think that you're in a really unique situation here because you covered Sam Darnold's rookie year. You saw all, what, 14 of his starts as a rookie last season. You've seen Daniel Jones so far. What do you like about both of them? What do you think is the biggest flaw in terms of their rookie years? And, um, you know, in terms of who's better off right now, I know we, we touched on this in the debate with, with Matt Stipikoski that you alluded to the people that should go read at nj.com slash Giants or nj.com slash Jets. But where do you think those two quarterbacks are? And where do you think Jones might be ahead of or behind Darnold where he was as a rookie? Well, I think I think Jones probably has a more stable and legitimate coaching situation, and we didn't really get into that on there, so this is sort of, sort of supplemental, but the Jets' coaching staff last year was a disaster. I mean, Jeremy Bates was a, a complete disaster as an offensive coordinator, and I think that for all the flaws for Pat, Pat Shermer, uh, Mike Shula, the, the, I think they're certainly, they certainly clear the low bar of Jeremy Bates in terms of what uh, what the rookie quarterback had in terms of a guidance as as, as in his first year, uh, that is you know an advantage for for Jones. And I think uh, you, the turnovers thing was was an issue for Darnold last year also. I mean that's a, a pretty typical issue for a rookie quarterback. So that's one thing that they kind of share in common uh, with with their their problems. I think we we talked about it at length on there about the the guys around them. Uh, and it's easy to talk about like, oh, well, Le'Veon Bell versus Barkley or, you know, Tate versus uh, Golden Tate versus Jameson Crowder. But like, I think you have to boil it down to just the, you know, the offensive line situations. So yes, the Giants have problems on their line with their tackles, especially Remmers and, and Nate Solder. But the, the Jets offensive line is like historically atrocious. So, <laughs> I mean, I know everyone talks about, you know, Darnold taking the next step in year two and he hasn't really done that. Some of it's his own issues, some of it's his own shortcomings, happy feet and all that stuff, but a lot of that stems from the line being so dreadful. The Jets have not done a good enough job of drafting to help him on the, help Darnold on the line. I mean, Giants fans, you think you think the Giants have done a poor job of addressing things on the offensive line and doing patchwork signings like the big money they gave Nate Solder? The Jets have done an even worse job. Yeah. I mean, and mainly in terms of just the, the lack of prominent offensive linemen that they've even drafted in terms of drafting an offensive line in the first or second round. They just haven't done a good enough job of that. Uh, and that's a lot of because they have all the roster holes that they've had to fill. But, um, yeah, I mean, it really was underscored by last week's opponent for the, for the Giants and the Jets played them earlier this year, the Dallas Cowboys, a team that's done a really nice job of drafting offensive linemen high. Yeah. Round one, round two, that whole line. They was, committed to building their offensive yeah. line through the draft and, and targeting and, premium players. And it helped at the time when they were doing that that he did have, for some of those guys when they were drafted, Tony Romo right. and now Dak Prescott. So they didn't have to use these high picks on a quarterback over and over. They got Romo as well. He, you know, he was with them forever. And then Dak Prescott, they got him in the, the what, fourth, round. fourth round. So it turned out great for them. They've done a really good job in terms of – you can draft an offensive lineman high – uh, doesn't mean he's always going to work out, Eric Flowers. Right. So, so there you go. I think I think that that that's a case in point for how much a line can help and 
in a quarterback in an offense. And I think the Giants are closer to having that completed offensive line. There's still a, a miles and miles of ways to go because even though you seem to be settled at the guard spots with Kevin Zeitler, who has played reasonably well, and Will Hernandez, who um, seems to be developing pretty quickly and having a solid year for himself, you still need to find two young tackles. And, and I think that's the biggest concern for the Giants because it looks more and more like the Nate Solder contract isn't just an albatross, but that he's just not going to be what you thought he was going to be going into the future. And there's nothing more detrimental to a young quarterback than having poor offensive tackle play. And I think that it's one thing, as you said, to draft a, an offensive tackle high. It's another one to draft a guy high who's going to step in and be that cornerstone for your offensive line and for your franchise, which is what the Giants need. They, they need not just one, but two. And and I think the supporting cast might be a little bit better for Jones. I think that Barkley and Le'Veon Bell are kind of a wash in terms of, you know, who's better than who. But I think the Giants have to, as long as Sterling Shepard gets healthy eventually and gets on the field, have to feel good about the combination of Shepard and Tate and Ingram. But those guys are just so banged up, Daryl. We're now entering week 10 and all four of those guys haven't been on the field together. So it's really difficult to discern and decide who has the better supporting cast around them. I think the Giants have more offensive weaponry and talent when they're all together and healthy. But that line, the Giants might be a little bit better in terms of where they are right now, but there's still a lot of work for Dave Gettleman to do, not just this offseason, but maybe even to the next two offseasons in getting two young tackles to round out that line and round out that offensive rebuild. If he sticks around that long. Yeah, yeah that's, 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 that's a great point, too. That's that, Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, it's just, it's like you said, really problematic when you cannot have a competent offensive tackle play for a young quarterback, and, and that's where the Giants are. And generally, you look at these type of things like Nate Solder, uh, giving big money to an offensive tackle or something like that in free agency. I mean, the Jets didn't give huge money to Kelvin Beecham, but those guys, they're they're becoming free agents because the team that they you know they were with is letting them walk for a reason. You know, that's that's sure. the reality of it. Trying to patch, trying to patchwork and paper over your offensive line and free agency is generally not the way to go. So, and Bill uh, Belichick isn't typically wrong, right? And in those sort of things, if, if somebody leaves the New England Patriots, it's very rare that you see guys go out and play at a high level elsewhere. Yep, yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. That you know, that's obviously been the case with Nate Solder. Came to the Giants from the Patriots, got big money, and hasn't really hasn't at all lived up to it. So these these teams, bottom line, whether you're talking about, I think at quarterback they. It was the quarterback situations of the Jets and Giants, a lot of hand-wringing around Darnold and Jones. Oh, are these guys going to be the guys? Are these guys going to be the guys? Quite frankly, I think quarterback is not nearly as big of a problem as a lot of the other problems on the rosters for these teams. If they can get uh, you know those other areas fixed up, and actually I have a story for tomorrow on, on Phil Simms and Ken O'Brien looking back at the last time the Jets and Giants really had two young rising quarterbacks at the same time. They were both drafted around the same time. But if you look at those Giants teams in the 80s and you look at Philsom's numbers like for his career, they're not incredible. Like yeah. he won a lot of games and he even admitted this, you know, the Giants had a lot of talented players around him and that helps. So if you look at quarterback right now for for the for the Jets and Giants, yes, it can be a problem and yes, you need a franchise quarterback, but they need to give these guys some help because these teams are not close in a number of other areas. Not cl- not close both to be winners. I'm not talking about close together in terms of how they compare. I'm talking sure. about how close both of these teams are to becoming contenders. Neither is particularly close. Right. And the main reason for that is not quarterback. And I think yeah. in either case, I think it's all the other stuff that we're talking and about. And if we go big picture long term, and I wrote this in the story that we did for the weekend, um, I think the Giants are closer 
to being competitive and pushing for a playoff spot only because of their situations. I, I'm, I tend to be a little more optimistic about Jones. I think that there's more there than with Darnold. And, and the fact that Darnold is taking such a step back in his second season, I think, would be worrisome to the Jets and their fans. We also have to look at the division. And again, the window might be closing for Brady and Belichick up there in New England. But I think the Buffalo Bills have zoomed past the Jets in terms of the hierarchy of that division. I, I really think Josh Allen is a legitimate franchise quarterback. Quarterback. I like John Brown a lot, a deep threat at wide receiver. Devin Singletary looks like a player at running back. Ed Oliver is kind of the jack-of-all-trades at defense, just a menace along that defensive line. So I think their road to the postseason is a lot more difficult long-term than the Giants, who the Cowboys are going to, in the short term, yeah, they might dominate for a year or two and might push for a Super Bowl as early as this season, but the Cowboys are in some self-imposed salary cap hell coming up here after already paying Ezekiel Elliott, going to have to pay Dak Prescott a second quarterback contract going to have to pay Amari Cooper, and you look down the turnpike in Philadelphia, they committed to Carson Wentz, but that offensive line is getting old very quickly. That defensive line isn't what it used to be, and they're getting old very quickly. They have a lot of the same issues in the secondary that the Giants have, so if the Giants can just round out this offensive line, add a couple of pieces on defense, um, Daryl, I think long-term, the Giants might, just so we're not all doom and gloom here, because there's a lot of doom and gloom in the (laughs) present, but I think their future might actually be brighter if they can just get this upcoming offseason right, and I just don't know that I can say that about the Jets. Yeah, I think the Giants are probably closer. I do. I think they're probably closer, and we'll see what, what Jones becomes in year two, whether he does take that year two leap that a lot of these quarterbacks have, because again, like not to minimize the quarterback situation, he does have to do his part, and he does have to, have to take the leap, and the jury's still out on him, and the jury's still out on Darnold, but uh, I think you, you feel better about the jury still being out in year one on a quarterback as opposed to this point in year two, as is, as is the case with Darnold. So I think uh, you know, Giants fans gonna look at this and say, "All right, well, you know, get the pieces in here next off season, and then hope that Jones takes that next step, like a Wentz, uh, Carson Wentz, or Jared Goff did in year two. So, uh, and we'll see if Pat Shermer is going to be the guy who will be around to help him take that next step. No doubt about it. And not to be the wet blanket on my own optimism parade a second ago. <laughs> um, I, I just want to throw this out there, Daryl, and get your thoughts on this. Walking into that locker room on Monday night after the game, you've covered the Jets for a number of years. I covered the Eagles for a number of years before moving over here last season. We've both been a lot of in a lot of locker rooms, practices, after games. You get a sense for the vibe and the psyche of teams immediately after a loss or during a week. I don't know that I've ever seen a more deflated, downtrodden, defeated locker room than what we walked into on Monday night. It was quiet. You didn't have as many people even in the room from a player standpoint. Guys got out of there quickly. It just seemed like something, the air, whatever air was left out of the balloon was left in the balloon, was that out of it on Monday night? And you, you show up at the facility this week, and there's no music in practice on Wednesday. They called it a jog through, kind of a correction period of, after everything that went wrong in the second half on Monday. But the music wasn't playing again on Thursday during practice. It, it just seemed like the locker room was a little bit more of a ghost town than normal from a player's perspective on Thursday. I don't know about you, but th- th- this just seems to be trending in the wrong direction, which is probably a product of all the losing, but it seems like it's trending in the wrong direction in terms of a morale and just a vibe around this team right now. It's going to be worse if they lose Sunday. Oh, no doubt. A new, I think, uh, yeah, I think it was a quiet locker room Monday night, but for some of the, you know, some of those depressed Jets locker rooms I've been in, it, those have, those have been more, those have been worse, more, more funereal type environments. But yeah, certainly Monday night was, 
was pretty bad. And I think if you if you look at this you know situation for this Giants team, I think they're they're exasperated because they've been in these games, and we've I feel like written the same sort of kind of story three weeks in a row here. Now the Giants were in the game against the Cardinals at the half. They were in the game against the uh, Lions at the half. They were in the game against the Cowboys at the half. They didn't finish. They didn't finish. They didn't finish. Three games in a row. This team is still obviously learning how to win, and I think you look at veteran players like Golden Tate, who's a 10th-year pro, and listen to him talk after the game, and he was, and it was hard to kind of convey in print. I tried to do it today in the story. Uh, he was exasperated, talking about the knuckleheaded mistakes and, and and the Giants kind of beating themselves with some of these things, you know, one of five in the red zone, all the quarterback turnovers. I mean, he didn't single out Daniel Jones, but, you know, you can, you can tell – uh, when a guy is really frustrated, and he was obviously really frustrated, um, and he was, you know, sighing, audibly sighing, looking up at the ceiling, talking about um, they just have to stop kind of beating themselves, uh, that sort of stuff. So, yes, you're starting to hear that tone come through a little bit more in, in the in the locker room. And uh, if this look, if this team goes into the bye week and is having to stew on a loss to a historically bad Jets team. Then, then all bets are off. I mean, exactly. I think that who knows what could happen in terms yeah. of uh, the locker room coming apart, in terms of uh, you know Pat Shermer's job security. So, and, and that's it's, where they're it's at. interesting you bring up everything about Golden Tate because I, I think you're starting to see that more from Saquon Barkley as well. One of the more eternally optimistic guys a year ago, and you know, didn't seem like the losing was really affecting him, and, and kind of echoing Odell Beckham's sentiments in the second half that they were going to put a run together and they weren't out of it, and, and that they could call back and maybe wind up eight and eight and build some momentum going into this year. Um, Daryl, you take away the Tampa Bay game where he got hurt. Saquon Barkley has not been on the field and finished a game. Game that the Giants have won this season. So he has not been a full participant in a Giants victory yet this year. And you start to get the sense that there's some frustration mounting there. He's not a guy who's used to losing all that often. High school, Whitehall was not necessarily pushing for state championships when he was there, but they were really competitive. Penn State goes to two New Year's Six Bowls during his three years there. And he comes to the Giants, and, and you look at the last two years, and they've now lost 18 games combined over the last two seasons. This isn't a guy who's used to losing, and you can see that it's starting to grate on him. It's starting to grate on some of the veterans in the locker room. Um, I, I just think that it could get ugly pretty quickly if this thing goes south on Sunday. For sure. For sure. And you look at a lot of these high-profile guys, whether it's Sam Darnold or Saquon Barkley or obviously Daniel Jones is a little different because the team he played for in college didn't win as much. But uh, yeah, these guys, are they come to the NFL and they're not used to losing. You know, Dexter Lawrence played at Clemson. They, I mean, Dexter Lawrence... Pr- Dalvin Tomlinson at Alabama, I same thing. I have to look at this because I wrote it in the preseason... Uh, I think Dexter Lawrence's like record for the final two years of his high school career, and then going all the way through his three years at Clemson, I think he lost five games in like five years. So that's that's crazy. I haven't even thought about that. I should have I should have asked him about that because I was talking to him uh, today for a Q and A. But um, but yeah, this has been quite the adjustment for for these guys. And uh, look, I mean, it, it's the harsh reality of the NFL. You know, you do. You can't out-recruit somebody as easily as you can in college. You know, a nice locker room isn't going to buy you a bunch of victories like it does in, you know, at some of these college programs because, you know, you can get the best recruits and you just went on talent alone. And there's a lot more that goes into it. And, um, yeah, I think I think – I think it'll be fa- uh, this is a kind of a fascinating game in almost kind of a car wreck kind of kind of way. Yeah. <laughs> Just because we were talking about this before you came on here. So who would it be a worse loss for? The Jets or the Giants? 
Yeah, I think that you survey both teams and they'd both be pretty embarrassed if they lost yeah. this game. I think that we can sit here and talk all we want about what an embarrassing, tragic loss it would be for the Giants and the trajectory of their franchise, and that's probably true. But the Jets are probably st- sitting at Florham Park and saying, we can't lose to those guys. Look, look what's happened to them. They can't close games. Look at all the turnovers that have been created. But I think overall, it has to be much more embarrassing and I think much much more consequential for the Giants if they lose this game. I think it's a far worse loss for the Giants than it would be for the Jets. Yes, because the Jets already had their Waterloo less, if I'm using that. <laughs> right. I, mean, I don't even know if I'm using that Napoleonic reference correctly. You, they already had their t- total disaster loss last week at uh, in at Miami. Miami. That was their... That, this would be the Giants what it was for the Jets last week. Of course, the Giants will still have an opportunity to, to, to further exceed the, the awfulness of the, of the Jets' loss by losing to Miami if they do that. So, um, But uh, I think it would be worse for the Jets, or the Giants, yes, for sure. Yeah, no, I agree. And just a little, uh, you know, just to turn the page to the game real quickly, I think one fascinating storyline to watch is going to be Leonard Williams because this is his first game against his former team. Very unique opportunity to play them in the regular season. Only happens, what, once every eight years, four years that these guys play? Uh, Every four years, the Giants and Jets square off at MetLife Stadium. Um, So he's going to go up against an offensive line that he's very familiar with. And you did a great story about this coming out of the locker room on Thursday, Daryl, that, you know, you, you look at this, it's going to be interesting because he was kind of quiet against the Cowboys. He was the 21st rated defender on the Giants uh, roster by pro football focus, but he was their fifth most efficient pass rusher. If he has a big game, if he goes out and he sacks Sam Darnold twice and has four tackles for loss, this is going to be the game that he points to and his agent points to and says, this is why you pay this guy. This is going to be, if he breaks out and has a big game, this is going to be one of the things that they hang their hat on. And there's certainly opportunities for it. I mean, the Jets' offensive line is one of the worst in football, and uh, they're I think they're 27th again in pass blocking and 26th in run blocking, and vice versa. It's in that story there that I have up on the on the site there about uh, Leonard Williams uh, kind of giving intel to some of the Giants' defensive linemen about what makes some of these Jets' offensive linemen tick from a personality standpoint. But uh, this, yeah, sure, this could be a jumping off game for him if he's able to take advantage of a weak offensive line and hit Sam Darnold a couple times and um but I think it, it's to the point with Leonard Williams where you kind of believe it when you you know you see what you, you believe it when you see it finally with him being able to cash in some of these sack opportunities maybe he's just sort of what he's shown which is a very good but not great defensive lineman pass rusher so who's who's very good against the run so uh this is a, a neat game for him um from a personal you know personal standpoint and uh and obviously a, a big pivotal game for both of these teams, even though I think this is a more interesting game for these teams than it would be if, say, the Giants are really good and the Jets are bad or vice versa. It's more intriguing when either both teams are really good, or in this case, both teams are, are horrendously bad. And both teams about, have a lot to lose. And you're talking about the you know the ownership perhaps really early on pushing the eject button on a coach, whether it's one and done for Gase or two and done for Shermer. Yeah, no doubt about it. By the way, can we just stop and recognize for a second how outrageous and kind of funny it is that it's not just the X's and O's intel that Leonard Williams is providing, but how to get inside his former teammates' yeah. Heads. That's great. I mean, you watch these practices and there is a lot of trash talk that goes on between teammates. So imagine what it's going to be like on Sunday if one of the Jets offensive linemen is trying to hold a block and he hears Dalvin Tomlinson chirping in his ear, the one thing that's going to set him off. That, that, that's a really unique element that I didn't even think of before. Yeah, and Leonard Williams kind of talked about that today. We were asking, like, well, what, what is it that you're sharing intel on? 
and he said not so much, it's not so much the X's and O's and stuff, because that stuff's evident from the film. It's not so much really even the blocking tendencies of a particular player, because really Leonard Williams doesn't really know that about Jets offensive linemen, because first team versus first team starter versus starter reps happen in training camp a bunch, but they don't really happen that much in the regular season during a practice week. Teams don't put their starters against each other during right. the practice week, during the regular season especially not at game speed. So Leonard Williams doesn't really know from a game speed standpoint what, like, Brian Winter necessarily does great. I mean, and he's, he's not he, studying he's, film he, of Winters uh, during practice during, either. He's, yeah, he's worked against him in camp, so he knows a little bit about that. About that. Um, but, and the X's and O's stuff is all evident in our film, but it's more so about the, you know, who who's... Who's a real tough guy and who's a fake tough guy is the way De- Dexter Lawrence basically kind of put out when I asked him about this in terms of the intel of, of, of what makes these guys tick. Who's going to push hard to the end of the game? Who might wilt a little bit? So that'll, that's kind of neat to, to hear guys talk about that. It would be cooler if they mentioned names or whatever about <laughs> about who, who these guys are, who, are who, who they perceive as, as vulnerable from a mental standpoint uh, in terms of a mentality and a mindset. But uh, yeah, that that's it, that's so important, you know, at that position on the offensive line, being able to forge ahead and have that aggressive mindset throughout the game, and not everybody can do it. And it's an interesting way to hear Leonard Williams talk about pinpointing maybe the guys who can't do it for the Jets. So that'll that's a, that's a neat little subplot uh, for this game for Leonard Williams. Something definitely to keep an eye on. Before we get out of here, how do you think this thing plays out on Sunday, and what's the biggest storyline we're talking about when we come back from the bye week on Monday? Well, I'm going to stick with my pick that I made in our in our pick. I'm going to pick a 10-10 tie. I'm like mostly joking, but I think it would be really funny to see. I mean, whatever. I'll pick I'll pick a tie. 10-10. Sure, why not? Uh if it happens, I'll be, you know, I'll pat myself on the back for that one. But uh but yeah, I think you're looking at probably a low-scoring game. You're talking talking about two offenses that are kind of scuffling a little bit. Um the the fallout um do, who has a better chance of winning? I think the Giants have a better chance of winning this game. So I think ultimately the Giants will, will probably win. Uh, I, I would be surprised if the Jets did. And I think uh, if you're, you know, if presuming that result happens, I think a little bit of heat off Pat Shermer going into the bye week. Uh, if it doesn't happen, as we said, you know, we already said what was going to happen. So no, no reason to rehash that. But from a Jets perspective, I think the storyline coming out of this game will be Adam Gase, 1-8, and eight, careening potentially toward a 1-and-done uh, a and done. See uh, 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 one and done tenure with the Jets, and that was on the table as of last week. Uh, you know, losing to Miami—that was the tipping point for him going toward that possibility. This would strengthen that narrative. Um, I think the Giants, like I said, have a better chance of winning, and I think, yeah, I think they do win unless it's a tie. And they uh, <laughs> and they and they take a little heat off Pat Shermer. They go into the bye week and they get a chance to regroup uh, for what is ultimately a lost season, but uh, with still some pretty big storylines in this lost season. Shocking. I'm going to go the other way here. Right. And, and uh, I've given this a lot of thought, actually. I kind of, you know, molded over on my drive up here. I think there's a chance that the Giants take a lead with under a minute and a half to play. OK, they're up 16 to 14 off an Aldrich Rose's field goal, a chip shot. They, they get halted in the red zone again. Sam Darnold gets the ball back thanks to a big kickoff return at about the 40 yard line. The Jets drive down the field and kick a game winning field goal, 17 to 16. Wow. They beat the Giants. They beat James Betcher's defense and we are back here on monday talking about potentially a new defensive coordinator 
and the Giants taking play calling duties away from Pat Shermer, the first sign that he's a lame duck head coach after year two. That's how I see this playing out. Nightmare doomsday scenario for the well, Giants. If you're going to get specific, how many yards will the Jets offense gain before it kicks the field goal? 20? They started their own 40. They're, they're going to get to where are they going to end the drive? I, I, I think it's they're going to end the drive at around their own, the the Giants 30 yard line. So it'll be about what what's that like a 40 45 yard drive? 40 so it'll be a 48 yard field goal and you're talking about a 30 yard drive, yes. 10 and then 20 more. Yeah. Oh, a big 30 yard game winning drive and then kicked That would be very fitting. I think that would be very fitting uh uh for a way to end, you know, the game for kind of a uh, floundering offenses, right? Uh, so mark the field tape. goal and then a return, then a little short drive and then a field goal yes. and then and then all the fallout that would be to come if that were the case. I think that certainly all those things would and should be on the table if 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 the Giants manage to lose this game. So neither offense feels great about itself and the same Giants struggles that really doomed them Monday night by kicking three field goals inside the twenty yard line on fourth and less than five come back to bite them again against the Jets. That's where I think we are here. That that would be nightmare doomsday everything on the table scenario. What are these teams gonna go combined in the red zone in this game? If the Giants went one of five last week. Over under on three two and a half. We'll call it two and a half red zone touchdowns for both teams. So you're taking the over or the under? Oh, gosh. I think it'll be three. Okay, three. so you'll take the over. I'll go yeah. under on that one because neither one of these offenses really inspire me all that much. <laughs> oh, I can't. I, yeah, there's no reason they should. There's no reason they should. So, uh, yeah, I, I, geez. May, I wonder at what point Sam Darnold and Daniel Jones wish they were drafted elsewhere. But <laughs> more, right, We'll play one more of these uh, over-unders here. More Saquon Barkley touchdowns or Sam Darnold interceptions? Oh, man. That's, that's a good one, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say Darnold will throw one interception and Barkley will have two touchdowns. I'm going the other way. I, I think that Barkley scores one touchdown and, and actually two picks for Darnold. They were a two-pick turnover machine type of performance for Sam Darnold. Well, it would be great if people could go over to the Meadowlands and bet on these prop bets for the game. Maybe, maybe we could tell them, put the, put the prop bets on the board and see what happens. No doubt about it. Daryl, any final thoughts before we get out of here? No, I think we covered everything. I think it'll be, it'll be an, like I said, an interesting game Monday or a Sunday rather, and um, you know, in, in a way that maybe Giants and Jets fans wouldn't want it to be interesting. But um, you know, you're going to be paying attention. And you're going to be watching this game. You can't look away. It's like I said, it's like a car wreck. Yeah, it's like a it's like a car wreck. Absolutely, the way to put it. <laughs> He's Daryl Slater. I'm Matt Lombardo. Appreciate you listening as always. Go ahead and follow the show on Twitter. He's at Daryl Slater. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. The show is at Talk Is Cheap NYG. We'll talk to you next week after Snoopy Bowl, or as I've been calling it this week, the Battle of the Basement at MetLife <laughs> Stadium. <laughs> Keep it here on NJ.com. 